listening to The Curious Mother, a place where we unpack all things related to mothering. This is a community where we aim to create a comfortable space that allows for active discussion without judgment. Find us at thecuriousmother.com and follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at thecuriousmother. Welcome back to The Curious Mother. I'm Kristen Daly. I'm Melissa Miller. So Melissa, what have you been thinking about lately? So I've been noticing both in my own life and friends' lives, I guess I always had this idea when my kids were infants that um, it's going to be so much easier to parent when we're just out of the thick and the hell of newbornness. Yeah. yeah. But the truth is parenting gets harder and harder and harder the older they get. And I think at every phase we're like, oh, it's going to be so much easier when they're independent, when they're older. Uh But I think the reality is parenting adolescence and um, working with their emotions and trying to discipline or help them gets harder and harder. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, I feel like I was always like so physically exhausted. Yes. But I'll be honest, I still feel physically exhausted parenting my kids. (laughs) I was, I was walking with a friend the other day and she said that she was at work and um, one of her colleagues said, hooray, it's Friday. And she said, you know, I'll be honest at this place in life that I'm in right now, I don't look forward to the weekends. <laughs> and, you know, and, and she was saying, like, she just felt that it's so, it could be so emotionally draining managing the knuckleheads that she has in her house. Yes. And it just makes it really hard. You know, it makes it hard for her to feel excited about the weekends because everything is a conflict. Yes. So, one, I really want to unpack this and talk about how can we parent well (laughs) and um, have hard conversations with our kids. Yes. But also give big shout outs to parents in the middle of it because it is hard. And this idea that you'll always be on the same page, like that's crap and (laughs) it's hard. (laughs) And I just feel like we need to all support each other in how difficult it is the older our kids get and the more complicated it gets. Yeah. Because if we're not, then I I, want to make sure all of us women can be honest about what it really feels like to parent through all the ages. Yeah. I think that it's, I always think about the idea that like our parenting books tend to disappear. Like, um, I mean, of course I'm not saying that there aren't some really good parenting books about managing adolescence, but we have like, like you pretty much expect everybody has that set of like, of parenting books for the younger years. But one of the things that is just so hard is there's no black and white solutions, right? right? Right. I mean, all of these issues that I feel like we deal with with our adolescents are things that are complex. Mm-hmm. And I think that we always try to look for, like, how can we make it more black and white? How right. can we know what's right and what's wrong? And there's a ton of different ways to see it. Right. Yeah. Rules feel safe, right? Yeah. Like, if, if we had these rules, then we know exactly how to parent. But life doesn't work that way. No. And, and any good psychologist will tell you, like, well, it depends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I always think it's, this is like where it's funny for me. Cause you know, um, one of the things I love rules so much that I have like all these rules for myself. Like I have like my own personal code and they kind of help me manage my impulsivity. And you know, like I have this, um, you have to delay a week before making a major purchase. And it's so funny. I like that rule. It is a good rule. <laughs> I totally broke it the other day. I was like, I, I was looking at my couch. I was like, I hate this couch. And I immediately just went and bought a new one. And, uh, 
And that's not how you're supposed to, I broke my own code. (laughs) And it's funny, like, you know, thinking about that, you know, I'm like, oh, I really wish I had followed my code. Um, But, you know, so on one hand, like, I like rules because they they just give me that sense of security. But on the other hand, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of situations that you're not going to have a perfect rule for, right? Right. And then the other thing is, like, so one of the therapies I do, dialectical behavioral therapy, the D in dialectical, or the dialectical itself, is the idea that um, there really isn't any black and white, and you have to learn how to take in other people's perspectives. Right. You know, like, you have to be willing to pull back and try to understand how they're seeing a situation. And sometimes when we can do that, we actually will be more effective in, in, in the relationship, but we also might change our own thinking. Yes. The reason why it matters so much to learn how to do that is because our relationships improve and our sense of self improves if we can be able to try to understand other people's perspectives. But that doesn't mean it's easy. <laughs> right, right. And, and I think this is where it also gets complicated as parents is that the relationship between your child and you changes as they get older. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes as parents, we really want to still feel like we're in total control. Yes. And you can't be in total control of somebody who you're trying to raise to be independent and launch out of your home. It has to shift. And yeah. so letting go a little bit of that sense of control can be terrifying because you still want them to be safe and making good decisions, yes. right? It's hard. It is. I think about some of those bigger decisions like who they want to date, even simple stuff like what they're going to wear and how they're going to represent themselves. And, you know, we can have this idea of how we want it to go, but we can't force them into it. Just something simple like clothing is so important to everybody. I mean, and, you know, I have this thing where Mother's Day, my Mother's Day present is that I get to dress my kids. I love this present. <laughs> and I feel like it's... Um, can, can I just ask real quick, like, do you dress them out of what they already have in their closet or do you go buy new outfits for them? I might buy new outfits. <laughs> they get to be it. my real life Barbie dolls for a day. It's like, and it's a present to me because I get to see them the way that I think. Yes. <laughs> but as I'm unpacking this with you right now, Melissa, I'm kind of recognizing that maybe that's not okay. <laughs> But this, this is what <laughs> parenting is, right? Like yes. always evolving and saying, hmm, yes. am I doing this just right? It's okay that you love that. I love, I love that you yeah. love it. <laughs> I will say there is a little bit of reciprocity because occasionally I will let my daughters dress me. <laughs> but, but, uh, so there, but it definitely is out of clothes in my closet. Like I can't imagine if I let them. Can you promise us that the next time you allow them to do that, that you will post on Instagram? (laughs) We actually had a knockdown drag out about that the other day. Mm. And my daughter wanted to dress me for pink. And I was really trying hard to be flexible and let her do this. Um, But then she really wanted me to wear this shirt that I, and it was an impulse buy shirt. Again, I violated my own rules (laughs) and um, it's a, it only has one sleeve. Like, so the other arm is is bare. And I know it was like what thirty five degrees uh, last Saturday when we were going to see this show, and um, and she really wanted me to wear that shirt. I'm gonna be freezing. <laughs> and I finally, um, she she finally she tried to understand, picked out a different outfit that would be warmer. The shirt she picked out had holes in the sleeves. So again, 
freezing. Um, so I came down in a sweater, and she was just so sad oh. because I was not going with what she had picked. And I, I'm sorry, Cooper. I'm sorry I did that, but um, but it didn't make sense. Anyways, <laughs> so. So the challenge is, like, we want to be able to control these things right. that are also, they need to be able to figure out on their own. Like, I mean, again, like, this simple thing of clothing. Like, I have an adolescent son who I think owns one pair of pants, maybe. Yeah. This is, of course, like, the thing I make him wear on my day. And it doesn't matter if it's 20 degrees outside. Every every adolescent male, I feel, is in shorts. Wears shorts. That's right. And we got to just... Be okay right. with it. <laughs> I just recently donated. I had five brand new pairs of... My kids have to wear uniforms for school. Five brand new pairs of uniform pants because they didn't get worn this winter even <laughs> when it was 20 degrees out because shorts. Yes. Right. And now he's outgrown them, right? That's right. That's <laughs> yes. right. So, uh, yeah. I mean, this this idea, if you step back and really look at it, like, how can you really control... Something that has a brain and can think for itself. Totally. And why would you want to? Yes. And how, like, and you know, kind of how disrespectful or how unkind is it to feel like you should be the ultimate decision maker? Right. Now, at the same time, we know that their frontal lobes aren't working completely well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So they're processing emotions through their fear centers. And so, um, you know, intense emotions or emotional information gets misread. Right. And also, they don't have great impulse control. Right. And so, we have to be very mindful of the fact that they are not going to be able to know how to rein themselves in. Right. Um, But at the same time, they're not going to connect that wiring if they don't learn how to do it. Right. Kristen... I think this is a good time for you to talk about this amazing article that you found. So I subscribe to Harvard Business Review because I, I don't know, I really love business materials. <laughs> and I, I'll be honest, like I find, for one, they do have a lot of articles about like um, practicing mental health and mental health of employees. So there are a ton of mental health themes in Harvard Business Review. But they also, what, the way I always like to view it is when we look at business research, Businesses are big systems, and they are big systems that often involve a lot of relationships. And because I do a lot of family work, I find that I love business materials for family work because if we can view the family as a very tiny business, it gives us some insight from a very different lens. And I think the nice thing about it is because it's not written as family, you know, like here's how you parent or, you know, uh, mental health type books. I actually, it's easier to buy into these complex concepts mm-hmm. when you're not feeling like it's an opinion from somebody who's judging you. you right, know? right. <laughs> it, you know, this idea of applying things that have been learned about businesses is amazing because there's a lot of research that's happening in organizations. Yes. And yet organizations are just people. Yes. And so it's really a cool leap and it makes total sense. Yeah. My, my husband works for a large bank and that large bank... I feel they always have these little experiments that I think are being run by like, you know, social psychologists or industrial organizational psychologists. And by experiments, I mean, at one point, this building he worked in had offices and then the offices were taken down and cubicles were put up instead because the idea was open work environment. This is the best way to help people be interactional. And also potentially you're going to have a more productive workforce if people don't have these big walls. Yeah. And they even changed like, you know, managers can be called managers. I forget. It might be team leads or some kind of flavor like that. 
of course, like the problem was working in a big cube farm, everybody's distracted all the time. And I always think about like, if you imagine with our homes, you know, so we used to have, you know, rooms that were all walled off yes. and now everybody is really into this idea of open concept. Yep. And the upside to open concept is that everybody can see everybody and it is very interactional, relational, yep. but it also is really loud and nobody really gets the opportunity for privacy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think it's funny to imagine like the, the, maybe like the home movement, uh, it trails a little what the businesses are doing. You're right. You know? <laughs> and so it's fascinating. Like what are businesses doing now? They're doing a mixture, right? They have big common spaces, but they also have you have optional offices and yeah. maybe you don't have an assigned office per se, but you can rotate in. Right. But or work from home or and then work come in on certain days. Yes, exactly. And, and, and trying to come up with a middle ground. And yeah. Frankly, I think it, homes do really well that way too. Like if you have a couple of big open common spaces, but allow for the idea that people are going to need to retreat to the rooms every once yes. in a while, that's kind of a nice middle ground. So long tangent. So there was an article in this month's um, Harvard Business Review called The Feedback Fallacy. And so I have that, that journal is on the coffee table at my, in my office. And I can't tell you how many clients I've tried to pull back who are like, hold on, I've got to finish this. <laughs> To the point where I have been known to ask the secretary to just make a copy of it because <laughs> it's really been that impactful. And the reason why I think it, it connects so much with people is it really talks about this idea that feedback is incredibly flawed. And one of the major challenges with feedback is the person giving the feedback has a lot of biases. Yeah. And it's very difficult for us to be aware of our own biases, you know? So there is this um, fun test that you can do that measures implicit bias. And um, I did it because I was researching for an article. And what I was looking at was my implicit bias with women in the workplace. Mm. Now, how would you think I would be biased with women in the workplace? Um, I think you are so pro-women in the workplace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like as we are sitting here talking, I have a fabulous coffee table book in front of me that's called In the Company of Women and How Women Build Businesses. Yeah. My implicit bias assessment demonstrated I had some bias against women in the workplace. Really? Yeah. And I think that it's almost like maybe all of my pro-women stuff is compensatory behavior. Right. Because at the core, there's something else going on there. Yeah. You know, because I can tell you rationally, there is no way I am, I mean. <laughs> yeah. But it was really interesting to see that in my implicit bias assessment. That's fascinating. And so the thing is, we'll put a link up on how you can assess your own implicit bias. Because there's a lot of tests that you can do with racial stereotypes, yes. and it's all measuring stereotypes. So the challenge is, when we are the person providing the feedback, we think that the way we see the scenario is the right way. Right. And the challenge is, there's no such thing as absolute truth, right? right. This is actually another core principle in dialectical behavior therapy, is that there's no one truth there are lots of different versions of the right. truth. And the more we can understand that there's no absolute truth, the easier it is for us to pull back and recognize, maybe I have my own bias. Right. Now let's translate this to what this means for parents. Yeah. Parents thinking that if they see their kid in a situation, that they have the, the absolute truth or understanding, or they get it in a way that their kids can't. Yes. And they feel like they have to help their kid understand why they were wrong and why I am right. Yes. But what they're missing here is this piece of, well, how, maybe your kid sees it in a different way that would actually make some sense yeah. or help inform how you see it. Well, I, I remember there was this one time, um, 
again, poor Cooper, like she was playing with my jewelry a lot. She, I had this pair of earrings that she just loved. Mm-hmm. And I, um, one day they were missing and she had had a buddy over and I was like, they had been in my room in my jewelry and I was just so sure that they were missing because either she or the buddy had yeah. taken them. And I accused her of stealing them and, um, you know, was very self-righteous about it. You've always liked these earrings. Right. She, of course, was very upset, you know, blown away by the idea that I would think she would have done that. And I was, I knew I was right. And so I punished her and everything else. Well, like two weeks later, I found them in my like travel jewelry case. Oh, I, had don't, packed them. Oh. I had packed them for a trip. Yeah. And I was just so sad with myself because I recognized like I was so sure I was right. I didn't even hear her because I knew I was right. Right. And I had just projected a lot of things onto the situation that didn't exist. Yeah. And so I had to go back and I had to own that situation with her. And I, you know, and she, of course, felt good that I was owning it yes. and um, reminds me of it. It's, it's been years, but she will never forget that. And I don't blame her because she knows, like, that sometimes my brain can jump to that conclusion. Yep. And that's not fair, right? What, what's, I just want to, this is a little aside here, but I, the point that you went and took responsibility for, I was wrong. Yeah. I, I took this as fact. Um, I think a lot of parents don't ever want to do that because they don't want to be wrong. Yes. Right? Yes. And yet it's such a relationship builder when you can say, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I did something wrong. I think that does more for a relationship than being right ever could. Yeah. And I think going back to that idea of feedback, we tend to think because we view a situation a certain way that we have the, the absolute truth. and. We don't always see it the right way. Right. Right? Because especially now, okay, so say that we take something from the surface. Say mm-hmm. that um, say that our kid calls us late at night from mm-hmm. a party that mm-hmm. we did not allow them to go to, and they want us to come pick them up, and they're in trouble, and mm-hmm. we're furious at them. Mm-hmm. Now, we can make all these assumptions about, well, they were trying, you know, why they did this and mm-hmm. all this, but unless we sit down and say... Help me understand from your perspective what was going on. Mm-hmm. We might really miss exactly what happened. And maybe our kid was making the best decisions they could. Yeah. You know, like it's complicated. But yeah. if we have this black and white, you are wrong. How dare you? I am right. Mm-hmm. We're never going to understand in their world and um, parent effectively. Yeah. And then the hard part is it, it becomes all about us being the barrier and not them learning, you know, I always think about that with dating relationships. Like I, um, you know, I dated like this absolute loser in high school and I, of course, as a grown up, can recognize that. Um, but I loved him. Yes. We all loved our loser boyfriends. (laughs) And I, my parents did, you know, they did everything they could to try to end that relationship. And what they didn't realize was by being so aggressive about needing to end the relationship, all they did was make me invest even deeper into that relationship. Yes. And and it, I, it became about fighting with them. Yep. And not seeing this person clearly. Yep. Ever. And it's funny because I always wonder, like, how long did that delay my decision making? Like, how long, how yeah. much of that relationship did I stay in for simple rebellion or simply to prove that I was right? Yep. Versus, like, how much would I have been able to assess that relationship and walk away if they had just not 
fought so hard to make me end it. Right. That's <laughs> fascinating. And I, I'll share an, a story of mine from high school. I had this fling with a, he was a boyfriend for sure, but not a long lived one. Yeah. And he definitely was not, uh, parental keeper. approved. <laughs> <laughs> and he stopped over one night to see me and we had a short interaction and afterwards, I knew my parents did not approve. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, I overheard my parents talking about it. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know I could hear. And my dad said something like, well, this is just a phase. We've got to let her run through it. And that, like the fact that they weren't going to fight me on it, but they knew I was doing something really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, huh. Maybe I don't need to run all the way through this. And we were done in like two days. Oh my like gosh. just knowing that they weren't going to fight me did yeah. everything to shift. Like, hmm, maybe I really need to look at this. I love that. <laughs> I mean, and I think the thing is, is that we can sometimes, like I'll hear from my parents a lot. And I know I do this myself. Like if they could see the bigger picture, yes. you know, then they would know that this is not the right decision. Right. And the hard part is, they, we aren't willing to understand their perspective in it. And the more we fight them on it, we're just creating this tendency to dig in their heels. Yes. You know, and one of the things that I often will think about is like two big questions when you're trying to give feedback or when you're trying to do something, you know, do I have the skills to do it? Yeah. And am I the person relationally to do it? Yes. And I think that the hard part is there are always things that we relationally may not be the right person. Like I had this moment um, recently where I was talking to a family and they were talking about how mom was saying, I keep trying to get kid to see this perspective on this thing and kid won't do it. And, you know, and I keep trying and, and I said, um, look, if your mom was trying to make you see this thing. Like, how does that go? And and it was so funny because mom was just like, oh, like, I know. <laughs> and I was like, exactly. Like, the problem is, like, you have good information. Right. But you're not the person to deliver it to your kid. Like, you right. know, and, and, it's, and sometimes we think we know everything. Right. And we don't. That's right? right. And I think that's so hard because I do think there's this belief of like, well, now that I'm the parent, I see things clearly. And wouldn't it be better if I could just come in and make this, you know, yeah. guide them well? And and that's just, A, maybe we don't see it clearly, but mm-hmm. B, even if we do, like, is that the best way our kids are going to learn for us to come in and tell them what's right and wrong? Yeah. And the thing is, is that it might be that their understanding of truth is different than ours. That's right. You know, and I do think, some, something I will hear a lot, well, you know, my parents just gave me the rules and I followed the rules and that's just how it is. And I don't understand like why, you know, why do I have to have this like flexibility or this, you know, like why do I have to validate them? That's, that's the one thing I will get a lot. (laughs) And the thing is, is that, okay, for one, I think that we tend to not remember things clearly. That's right. So there's that, you know, that we may think that parents said this and everybody did it and everybody just listened and nobody argued back. Um, I have a hard time imagining that that was really that way. Right. And then the other thing is, there's a lot of differences in temperament, right? And so maybe you were that kid who just listened and did what you were told. Right. Um, But maybe you're not raising that kid. Right. You know? And so it's hard. And also, like, okay, do you... you do you remember how angry that made you? Yes. And is that okay? Yeah. And okay, so you're right. Maybe you were a kid who could tolerate that anger, 
but maybe your kid isn't. Yeah. The one thing that I loved about this article was it really clarified for me what happens in the brain Uh um, with decision making or feedback. And I think that this is super important for parents to hear about that what it says is, we think feedback is super helpful. Yes. And actually, it's not. So listen up, parents. Our feedback is not all that helpful. (laughs) And, And one of the reasons why is that when we come at people with, hey, here's what here's what I think you need to know. Here's what you did wrong. Let's learn from this. We all Mm -hmm. think this is like a great learning opportunity for growth. But what happens is that feedback is perceived by adolescents or by anybody for that Mm -hmm. matter as kind of a threat. Mm -hmm. And our brain goes into pure defensive mode, into fight or flight, where no like memories are being made, no good decision making is happening. We are in survival mode yeah our brain lights up and is like danger danger we are not in a good thinking place yeah we do not want to light that up in our kids brains when we are trying to help talk about a situation so we do not want to put them on the defensive we want to get them talking and engaging yes i used to like a, a joke i will make is like we need to talk are some of the scariest words in the English language. Yes! Oh my gosh! Even just you saying that, I remember, I mean, I can so remember those words coming out of my parents' mouth and literally my knees going numb. Yes. Like, oh crap, what yes. have I done? Oh yeah. Like instantly scanning through, like, oh my gosh, what am I in trouble for? What am I in trouble for? Yes. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but as a grown-up, it still has that effect on me. Oh my gosh, yes! <laughs> yes. If I say that to my husband, he'll be like, Wait, what, let's talk right now. Yeah. You- <laughs> no, no, no. There's no delay. I need to know. I know. It, it totally sends us into emotional overload. Yes. And when we are emotional, we are very irrational. Yes. And so, you know, the challenge is, like, how do we get through when we know we have information? Like, you know, so let's say we need to give information or we need to give feedback. What are the effective ways to do it? Yes. And how do we recognize that, A, we may not see the situation clearly, so we may be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, B, it's going to be scary. Yes. You know, and yes. we have to know it is scary, and we got to accommodate that. Right. But it also doesn't mean, like, you don't talk or ever give correction, right? That's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they had a couple of, like, really important um, ideas. And one of them, which I think is always, it's like, I feel like you hear this over and over again, but... We'll say it again. A lot of it is the best way to lead is leading by example. Yes. You know, and the hard part with that is that means that if you really have like a a value that you want to put forth, you're going to have to be willing to actually be demonstrating that value. That's right. And so that's kind of the hard part because if we like, let's say, let's go back to like that idea of, um, relationships, you know, it can be important to think like, how have I done with, or picking with demonstrating what it's like to pick a healthy partnership? You know, if my kiddo is interested in dating someone that's toxic, have I been able to model healthy relationships for that kiddo? And, you know, and, and it is not, that is not meant to be a shaming statement. No, it's really just, that's our most powerful tool. Right. Kind of this idea of, um, do what I say, not what I do. Yeah. There's nothing worse that you can do. That yes. is the most awful, you know, do as I do. Yes. 
that you have to live that way. Yeah, and we've all been there, right? Like, because anybody who's ever had a job knows what it feels like to have a good manager versus a not yes. so great manager. And a key part of that is if your manager is asking you to do stuff that you know they're not willing to do, right? And they're not modeling the things that they're asking from you you're not going to be responsive to what they have to say. Right, right. It's just basic human nature. And kids pick up on that tenfold, oh, right? Oh, totally. So if we're like, hey, you need uh, you need to make your bed every morning. Yes. And they're like, but you don't. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's true. Or if we say, you need to be exercising. Yes. Oh, but you don't. Yes. I mean, all these things. Or it's not okay to lie to people. Oh, but I just heard you lying and asking me not to tell dad what you just bought, right? Like, these are not okay to not be practicing what you preach. Yes, absolutely. And the thing is, is so number one, the best way we lead is by being a good example. Number two, the best way to actually handle feedback is to be, for one, making sure you're inviting people in. Like, is this actually... A, feedback they want to receive, or B, important enough that you need to have the conversation anyways. Yeah. And how do you speak in a way that helps to not turn on that defensive brain? Yes. Right? And the trick there, or like, and what I always will tell my parents is, if you can avoid the word you, then you're going to help not turn on that defensive brain. Yep. And so they actually, in the article, give some really good examples of ways that you can shift feedback. And so... One of the things that they talk about is, you know, for one, um, asking for permission, you know, and I do, I do this a lot with my kiddos in the sense of, I will say like, you know, I have some information that could be impactful, but it may not be something you want to hear, you know, how open are you to hearing this? And so, um, and like hygiene conversations are the best possible, um, example for that, you know? Because the challenge is, I may have an, a perspective on how you could style your hair differently or whatever, yep. but they may not care for that right. perspective, you know? And so that's kind of part one. But part two is also um, having this idea of, so like instead of saying, here's what you should do, you say, here's what I would do. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying, here's what you need to improve, you see, here's what's worked best for me and here's why. Yeah. You know, and so like I had parents I was talking to recently where a kiddo is not performing at their potential at school. And for one, I, I was really kind of pushing back on, like, what is their perf- potential? Because I think that we do all have this sense of, like, oh, no, I know my kid's IQ, or I know, like, you know, I know right. that they should be able to be a straight-A student. Maybe it's just, like, I was a straight-A student, so they, they should be too. Or I want them to be a straight-A I want them student. to be a straight-A student because, I mean, I don't know many parents who don't want that, Right. right? But this idea that they're not doing the best they can, they could be doing better. What's hard about that is most of us feel like we are doing the best we can. And so when we're not in that place of like performing the way that we think we should, are they even aware of it? Or do they even have this sense that they want to be doing it differently? Yeah. And then what we were talking about was they were saying, you know, but education is a big value for us. And what do we do if we're not trying to help them achieve the straight A's? How do we pass on this value of education? And what I was talking to them about was I was saying, you know, well, talk about your own experiences with education. You know, talk about what it was like for you to pick your college, you know. And I asked them, I said, you know, do you have any stories from your own experience Mm -hmm. that could demonstrate that value 
rather than, you know, yep. you being harping on the homework. Because, you know, and, and their point was like, they going back to the leaving by example, like once you're out of school. It's hard like, to set an example. Like, exactly. how are you still doing homework? Right, exactly. <laughs> and which is a very valid point. Yeah. But it was like, there are other ways that you can express that particular example, you know. And, and I said, like, it would be really helpful. Like, dad was saying that. He wished he had done better in high school because he wanted to have more choice and flexibility over where he went to college. Mm-hmm. And that that's kind of why he's pushing kiddo to do so well because he wants kiddo to have a lot more choices when it comes to college. And I said, well, you know, that's all you really need to do is you just need to say, I it was hard for me not to have a lot of choices where I went to college. And, and you know, and he admitted, he was like, I'm still pretty proud of where I went. I was like, great. Like, that's, that's okay to share that too. Yeah. But all you really want to talk about is like this is this mattered a lot. I wish I had taken it more seriously. Yeah, and leave it there. I was like, don't you know? Don't ride your kiddo about their grades or panic because they might not get into the college you want. Right. And I think a lot of parents, especially like with the, you know, the scandal recently about parents right. trying to pay. I right. mean, I think we do get into a big panic about yes. that, right? Which, on an aside note, I, I also would like for that dad to realize, like, even if he didn't have a lot of choices, like, clearly he's doing okay. That's right? the other, Oh, that's such a good point, Melissa. Because, like, the thing is, is that we tend to focus on our own mistakes, yes. right? And we don't do a good job remembering what we did right. Right. And, and that goes back, like, that's another challenge with feedback because it tends to be focused on the places where we've made mistakes or the errors. Right. It doesn't tend to be focused on the things that went right. And that's actually, you know, another part of like how to give good feedback is to really kind of hone in on here's what went right, you know, here's what I liked. Yes. And the more that you can engage the person in talking through what felt good for them, what, how they recognize their strengths, that's where the growth happens. Yes. And then they're able to say, and maybe I would do this differently or yes. that didn't play out very well. It unlocks their ability to critically think what they would do better next time based on um, really feeling good about what they did right. Yes. And, you know, the idea is you want to have structure in your household about like rules that are enforceable, like yeah. rules that you know matter. Right. Um, I think it's an interesting space that we're in now that where parents can drug test, you know. And yeah. So we have like these controls that didn't even exist for um, for a lot of earlier generations. But let's use them wisely and let's right. only focus on the things that we know we can control. Right. Yes. So I had like a parent who's, um, I have several parents, you know, where kiddos are starting to be sexually active Mm -hmm. and there is a desire to control that. And I totally agree. Right. right? I mean, I, I should say, I agree with the, I understand the desire. Understand it completely. And I think that there are controls that we can have, such as like making it really difficult in our Mm -hmm. own home for kiddos to disappear and engage. Right. 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 But there, the truth is, it's not something we can totally control. That's right. Right. We can control, like, potentially, whether or not there's going to be a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, we can control, like, accessibility. Right. Um, in our own homes, you know, but that's about it. And so I was telling, I always tell my parents, like, I don't actually want that to be the place where you try to set some hard limits because yeah. you just can't enforce those hard limits. And... And the thing is, is that for your kiddo to develop healthy relationships, kiddo's going to have to figure that out right. as hard as it is to watch. And right. I totally empathize with parents because it's really hard to watch. Mm-hmm. At the same time, let's focus on things like, are you abusing substances? You know, things that are measurable. Like, are you breaking your curfew? Are you, like, keeping track of your finances well? Like, let's right. focus on the things that we actually can measure right. objectively. 
and not something that we're just trying to intuit by watching their patterns. Right, right. You know, I think that this is also so important to talk about really parents staying um, present with their emotions and making sure that they're not just decision-making happening by their emotions, right? Yes, yes. Because it's easy to get really worked up about this stuff and then you become so emotional that you're not really making choices or setting rules because it's the important ones. It's just mm-hmm. because it, it's something that really upsets you. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. Like I saw a, a really good example of like how the modeling and being, you know, and the modeling and then also approaching feedback differently can be incredibly effective. Um, my youngest has started a new sport. And mm-hmm. so she started playing lacrosse. My oldest is very passionate about lacrosse. And he's actually the reason why she started playing. Cause he's just been dying to have somebody play, to play lacrosse with. And she had a game, and we were watching her game. And it was kind of an interesting thing because, like, the sidelines for this game, we were very far away. And so the nice thing was you could kind of say whatever you want because nobody was going to hear you. Like, we were on top of this huge hill, and the field was at the bottom of the hill. (laughs) So anyways, we were kind of critiquing just – there were just some things where skills need to be learned. And anyways – but of course, when Kiddo came off the field, everybody was like, way to go. And here's what we saw. And like, I loved it when you did this. I kind of, I really had a, a chat with brother to prepare him for the idea. Like, don't, don't criticize. Yeah. I know you have feedback, but like, just hold on to it for a little while. And interestingly, when we got home, he said, hey, will you play lacrosse with me? And a two little sister and little sister was like, I would love to. And he worked on her skills directly playing together without even giving her the feedback. That's beautiful. I mean, I, I was like, Ugh. I was watching this in action. I actually, you know, got, grabbed a lacrosse stick and I'm terrible. But I was out there because it was so powerful to see how he was engaging with her skills. And, but, and he was gently introducing, he's like, I feel like you're a little afraid of the ball. Like I'm noticing that like when the ball's coming at you, you step backwards instead of forwards. And that seems like maybe you're a little afraid. He's like, can we try not stepping away from the ball and just see what that's like? And I was like, oh my gosh. And it was so effective with her because they were doing it in the moment. And it was, and he was demonstrating like, here's what I do. And that mattered. Like she could totally hear that. Whereas if in the car ride home, and it was a long ride home from that game, if he had said, here's what I saw, and you need to do this, and you need to do that, which has happened before, she would have shut down, right? right? She would, And she would have been devastated because she was excited about the performance, yeah. and all she wanted was to hear, good job. Yep. You know, the truth is we as parents always feel like if we see that they're not particularly good at something or they need a little development here – we have this belief that they aren't aware of it and we have to tell them. When the truth is, like, I think for the most part, kids have a pretty good sense of what they're good at and what they're not good at, right? And if not, they're going to get feedback from their friends too, right? We don't need to be the bearer of all the bad news. We almost feel like we have to protect them from their peers seeing it. Yeah. You know, get them to fix it before anybody else finds out what they're not good at. But this idea that our kids don't already have a sense that maybe this is not their area of strength. Like, you know, I can remember playing basketball as a a kid and my dad had three daughters and he was a serious athlete. Uh And I think he was devastated that he was never going to have a son to coach. Right. (laughs) So basketball was one of the sports that Mm -hmm. myself and another sister played. And I wasn't particularly good at it. Uh 
Um, I worked really hard with my dad at it. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I was fine, but in the places where I knew I wasn't good, I knew I wasn't good. And yeah. I was so scared of it being addressed Yeah, because it's hard, right? Yeah. Like it, w- it wasn't natural for me. Yeah. And so I just feel like we need to take a step back and talk about the strengths and maybe our kids might open up then and say, well, can I, can I ask you then about something that's felt hard for me? Yeah. Or I'm realizing that this isn't my strength, right? Yeah. Instead of when, when it's addressed to us, like this is a problem, they instantly, it cripples them. Totally. And I think the thing is, is that I can imagine some of my parents being like, oh, all this namby-pamby, new way of parenting, you know, back off yes. from the kiddos. Right. But the thing is, is that, okay, for one, not necessarily new wave. I feel like there's a pendulum that's swinging. Yes. And actually, you know, for a long time, we expected kiddos to be able to handle their own emotions and care about their own athletics. That's and care right. about their own education. So I feel like, you know, a pendulum is probably readjusting. But then the other side of that is it's teaching this. It's like connecting that emotional wiring, you know, yes. it's like. And so the more we can help them to identify what they're thinking, feeling, experiencing, yes, the more we're going to help their brains develop that ability to have that control. Right. And that's why we got to create that space for it. You that's know? right. And so it's not that we're trying to not parent or we're trying to be too flexible, but it's more like set some good firm boundaries for the things that matter yes. and then create space for them to develop some understanding for the things that aren't black and white. Right. It's a matter of becoming more effective, not less or more. It's just, if let's do this better now that we know more. Yeah. Yeah. There's also this aspect. I like how you said, like decide what it is that we're going to focus on. Because I think the truth is parents right now feel the need to give feedback or push their kids in every area. And it sends this message of you need to be overachieving in every Mm -hmm. single area. And that's too much of an ask, right? So decide what are the things that really need to be focused on and what things can you let go of? And guess what? I bet they're going to focus on the things that matter to them too. Yeah. Like this idea that if we don't care about our kids' growth, that they're not going to either. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Our kids care about their lives. And as they grow up, they... They want good for themselves too. Yes. yes, exactly. And it goes back to like, that's why I love that this is a business article yes. and not a parenting article because guess what? You know, we don't want bosses who are going to be overly critical. Micromanagers. Micromanagers. Like, and so that's kind of like, to me, the fun flip on the source of this discussion yeah. because going back to like that sense of like, oh, you know, like everybody's so soft and snowflakey. Every, you know, everybody likes to be able to feel connected and respected. And the more we can do this, the more effective we get to be in relationships. And the thing is, is that if you imagine your relationship with your colleagues being super important, these relationships are even more important. So more reason for us to be able to have bandwidth for being, for doing it differently. And, Mm -hmm. and the thing is, is that this is just like a really cool source of how to do it differently. Right. Right. And I, I really... I like the idea of thought patterns or, or thoughts change, trends mm-hmm. change. And for a long time, there was this idea of like, give harsh 
feedback, criticize, learn yeah. from your mistakes. Let's like rub your face in the dirt, right? <laughs> yes. Like kind of this idea that we all need to be able to receive the harshest feedback and that will help us grow. Yeah. Great. We tried that. Yeah. Turns out it doesn't work as well as we yeah. thought it did. Usually it just traumatizes people. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So how about like once we actually have the information that we incorporate it into doing better? And yes. parents too, like, okay, great. So maybe you have been overly rigid and rule-based and not willing to hear your kid's perspective or include them in the conversations that, you know, it's black and white and we need to control them. Well, great. I can't imagine that's worked incredibly well. So now Uh that you realize it's not as effective, it's okay to shift. It's okay to try something that might work better. Yes. Well, you know, we hope that this has been um, giving you some good uh, tools uh, from the world of business and how we can potentially engage with our kiddos better. And we hope that you will join us again. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Curious Mother. If you liked what you heard, the greatest compliment would be to share this with your community of moms and to give us a great rating on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram at The Curious Mother. And check out our bios and resources at thecuriousmother.com. Thanks for listening.